Hello, I'm Robert Cross, and I'm here with my co-host, Eric Gonzalez, and we are RNHA News Radio. Hi, Robert. Glad to have you back on the show again. I know you've been out for, for a few weeks, but hopefully uh, you're back for and ready to be for, right back in the action game. Oh, I'm more than ready. Thank you. <laughs> so tonight we have some interesting topics, right? Afghanistan, the vaccine, and the border. Let's see how many we can offend today. Yes. Well, let's start off with, with Afghanistan. Not, 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 not without mentioning that the atrocity and the patheticness that took place in how they evacuated everybody there that's not an American citizen. Yeah, this whole situation has been handled haphazardly. The, the biggest concern that I have and the frustration that I have, especially when the Democrat socialist left continues to talk about defense spending, but yet they're okay with leaving over $200 billion of not only weaponry, but also valuable equipment. And then after a couple of, a couple of reports and readings that I've seen, even biometric equipment that is very vital to ensuring the security of all people there in not only in that region, but not to mention will give has an open door to other regions in the Middle East. Yeah. The Taliban has already at one point taken over Afghanistan. We sort of forced them out, and it's been a long, drawn-out war, but with a full-scale pullout like this, we're going to end up with a similar situation to Vietnam, where, you know, we end up with communists or terrorists getting a hold of U.S. weapons. I think what the Democrats don't realize is the weapons and the biometric software we're leaving behind could be used against us in the next terrorist attack. And you're absolutely correct. And, and the, the problem that I have with that, with this whole withdrawal, if you can call it a withdrawal, because it was not thought out, it was never planned out correctly by this administration. However, with President Trump, he had a definite plan in place on how to effectively withdraw to make sure that all equipment and all weapons were out of the country first so that way they would not be able to fall in the wrong hands. Now, with the Biden administration, as we see, it's the similar type of inaction of planning or lack of planning like it was in Iraq, where I served. And, I, and I'm seeing some very similar actions that are taking place right now with what's going on in Afghanistan. Because under Obama, he did the exact same thing they just basically said, let's get up and move without, without a, a negating a conscious plan to effectively withdraw. And, and my background in the military was part of the planning process on how to leave a mission or an objective. And they have failed on every front on that planning process where they could not execute anything correctly. Now, that's what we see now in Afghanistan. I, I'm utterly appalled at how the generals and all the leadership that are there, now I'm not talking about your 
be your lower level leadership because they're they're just following the orders of the, the higher echelon command leaders. And those are the ones that should have been commenting back to the administration saying, no, we need to follow a, a specific plan to effectively withdraw. And I didn't see that because obviously reasons that, that they need to be held in secrecy, but you need to be able to withdraw from an objective effectively and efficiently, and that this is not the case. No, I agree. And I think that this is gonna destabilize the region anymore. We already had in Iraq, in Syria, ISIS, all right? We took out ISIS, drove them underground. Now we have Iran and possibly the Taliban rising. There are more right now Islamic terrorist organizations rising up than we have effectively dealt with. And by, I think by pulling out of Afghanistan, it might destabilize the entire region. We're not just looking at Afghanistan. Look at the entire Middle East. If Afghanistan and the Taliban can show a strong front against the U.S., what's to stop ISIS from resurging or Hamas? I, I, I agree. And then, you know, especially with the proximity to Iran and with Hamas so hell-bent on destruction of the American society, you know, that, that with the weaponry and the equipment that was left behind, the Taliban have enough equipment there to really inflict some damage on any area that they want to because it the, the, the equipment that was there left is pretty effective. And so that's what bothers me the most. And that, like I said, the planning or lack of planning to, for this withdrawal is not there. And I cannot believe that the leadership in that region would actually allow this to happen. So it's somewhere in the process of the disorganization of this process, somebody should have spoken up. No, someone should have. And if I was a betting man, Eric, I would say someone probably did. And this was probably overridden, not at the military level. I would almost go to say that this probably came straight from the White House. Oh, most definitely. I, it most definitely does come from the White House. And that, that's why there's only one, one direction that the finger pointing needs to go to, and that is the Biden administration. So look at this. The, the, well, we have President Trump in office. They blamed him for every single thing, and they pointed the fingers at, to him for every single thing. So why is it not okay to point the finger back at the Biden administration? Yeah, no. The, I, I've listened to the news. I've been keeping up with stuff. You don't really hear many news commentators slamming Biden. And you're the only thing that they have gotten like upset with him about is he isn't doing the fifty thousand student loan forgiveness thing. And you're absolutely correct. So I, I was watching some news clips earlier today and trying to trying to catch up on it because I've been kind of blinding myself from the news and I was just appalled at 
the direction of their commentary on most of the hyper-liberal news outlets now talking about the vaccine again, making sure that they don't address the elephant in the room, which is Afghanistan and the border, which are two high have higher priorities than the, than what the than what the vaccine should be, because there's a higher risk of fatalities in both. Yeah, you know, I think the border situation is something that frustrates me the most. The U.S. is one of the number one trafficking destinations in the world. But it's not just a trafficking destination. It's a place where young girls are actually taken from and sold abroad. So we are both a trafficking destination and origin country. And we're the most powerful country in the world, arguably. And by Biden letting the border collapse, he has jeopardized the lives of all of those girls, all of the young boys that are taken. And we know we're not just talking about illegal immigration because a lot of people you know, focus on that when they think about the border. No one ever thinks about the border actually keeping illegal immigration safe. You know, no one talks about, you know, like the illegal slave trade and, you know, like child pornography rackets and, right. you know, prostitution and, you know, sex slaves and organ trafficking, which MS-13 and the cartels all have their hands in. And, you know, yeah. you're, absolutely, you're absolutely correct, Robert. But see, and that, that's the other issue that I have, especially now that they are evacuating Afghan refugees to right here to my backyard at the at the largest border crossing in the world, the most crossed border in the world, right down in San Isidro, they are, it's gonna be ripe for human trafficking at its highest level because that's what they do. That's what these traffickers do to little kids. And don't forget, it's not only girls, it's also young boys that get trafficked as well. So there's, there's a big push to actually get our border, to the border right here in San Diego, more secure to actually pre start preventing that human trafficking of not only, and not only just young kids, but adults as well, because it goes on both spectrums. No, no, you're right. I mean, the average age of human trafficking, right, is probably about 10 to 15. Correct. Mostly girls. But what most people don't talk about is labor trafficking is mostly men. So when you're looking at people who end up in slave labor camps, you know, doing like mining blood diamonds and stuff, you're looking at young kids, probably about you know, eight to, you know, 15. And then they're used and they're just discarded. Like women are sold for their bodies. Men are sold for their labor in some cases. And, you know, it depends on the sort of criminal racket. But this is something that jeopardizes people of all ages. And when... Um, Desperate people come across the border. They use coyotes, you know, traffickers and smugglers to get them through. Not all of them are just trying to smuggle people through so they can have a better life. Like the news says, these are shady people who say, hey, look, 
I have a job for you, you know, how would you like to be a waitress? And then you, they end up gang raping the girl and turning her out for prostitution. And it's a very like dark business and desperate people do desperate things. It jeopardizes everyone's safety. And we can actually tie this back to what you were saying with Afghanistan. Now the boys club, we don't just have the cartels to worry about. We have terrorists. You know, we have drugs coming in our country. The Trump administration confiscated 50,000 pounds of fentanyl at one point. 50,000 pounds of fentanyl. It takes like 10 milligrams to kill you. Absolutely correct. So, and that, that's what is the most disheartening part of this whole evolution that's going on. And you can see that this, this administration and the Democrat socialist left, they're just going along in their playbook and ticking every block and every box off on how to subvertly internally destroy our country. And they're doing it because people weren't, we the people are letting it happen. However, now that they're being, there are some people that are rising up and starting to say, hey, wait a minute, it's time to pump the brakes and let's take a, another look at what's going on. Uh, it, even there are some people that, that I know that I've talked with that have, that did vote, they expressed to me, they did vote for Biden and now that they absolutely regret that. And I, I tell them, I said, well, what, why do you regret it? Well, because he is not being an effective leader and he's not going off of his plan to unite the nation. And I told him, I tell him, I say, you know what? That's a good justification, but I knew that he wouldn't be able to because of who he was going to be aligned with in Kamala Harris. Now, like I always tell everybody, look at, at the, the whitehouse.gov website. And I think I've mentioned this to you before in a previous episode is when you go onto that, the whitehouse.gov website, what is the one thing that, the, that stands out to you right away? It is called the, the Biden-Harris administration. Now, strikingly enough, I don't ever remember any prior administration, including the vice president on the main page of an administration, of the presidential administration title that is. So that lets me further know that she's, had, she's trying to have a, a much further role than what it is of a vice president. And she's failing at every opportunity because she has been given the border crisis and hasn't come to a resolution at all. No, you're right. And this is dangerous waters we're in. And I don't think most people understand this. During Jackson's administration, we had a very, very strong-willed um, vice president in Calhoun. Calhoun got into it with Jackson over tariffs and started amassing forces to secede from the Union over what was called the nullification crisis. During Jackson's administration. Now remember, Jackson was a Democrat president. Right. Jackson was going to send in the troops, and they were able through back channels to settle things, and the war didn't start. But we almost had the Civil War. 
you know, 23 years earlier almost because right. of Jackson's administration. And it is a very dangerous thing for a vice president to view themselves as equal or more capable than their leader. Mm -hmm. For better or worse, you know, Biden is our president. Harris as the vice president should fall in line with Biden. And it's very clear when you go to the White House that they are projecting that they are equals. It's the Biden and Harris administration, like you said. And that is a very, very dangerous message to send because it sends the message <clears throat> that he is not in charge. And, it's, and you're absolutely correct, Robert. And it also sends a message to not only to the country, but to the rest of the world as we are being exhibited right now that we have a weak president in the White House and there is a vice president that just would rather do nothing but just take the perks of being, of being a so-called president without doing having to do the hard work. And so, you know, it's just, it's, this administration has done nothing but make us a weaker country, a more divisive country, not only locally, but globally. And so, and for as far as much as they praise that we need to be thinking globally, well, they're not thinking globally. They're thinking what's best for me and not only me, not the rest of the country or globally. Yeah, Eric, I completely agree with you. So I, I think we we've should move on to the other topic of high presence, and that is the vaccine. You know, today we learned that the FDA has interimly approved the Pfizer vaccine. Now, I believe now that's what the Secret Secretary of Defense will use to effectively go ahead and Man, make it mandatory that all service members be vaccinated. Now, remember that the, there is a, a U.S. code, according to the military code, that they can they can that he cannot mandate make it mandatory for any service member to get vaccinated with an unapproved, non-FDA approved vaccine. So I find it kind of ironic that now that it has been pushed and it is now has an interim approval. I believe that now that he's going to be able to do that with the military and harm the military more than what he already has, because to me, he has displayed nothing but a weak secretary of defense. When you go to another country and wearing a shield and a mask, when we are supposed to be the most powerful nation on earth, and you go with that kind of weakness display. It is beyond frustrating to me. You cannot have a weak commander-in-chief. You can't have a weak secretary of the Navy. All of our enemies right now are laughing at us when Trump had just a few years earlier put the fear of God in them. Like, you didn't hear people say the things that they say about the United States during Trump's administration. <clears throat> Afghanistan, the, the Taliban would have never even thought of trying to regain power if Trump started withdrawing. If Trump would have sent back in the troops and bombed them again. 
Well, remember, remember what he on early in her early in President Trump's early days in office. What was one of his first actions to exhibit peace through strength? What did he drop? He dropped a five thousand pound bomb there in Afghanistan that obliterated at a mountainside. But do you can you imagine the fear that that portrayed to the rest of the region and not only there but also to the rest of the world? And then not to mention when he crossed the bridge to go meet Kim Jong-un in North Korea. Now that, that's that's the kind of strength that we need in the White House and, and also a president, not somebody who's gonna be falling back and isn't inco is incoherent and cannot complete a sentence. All these nations that we're fighting against understand the strength. And these are nations, I don't think most people understand that most nations where we're fighting at with that we've had to deal with Islamic terrorism, the US has been fighting for as long as they existed. You know, it's only, and it's only been through strength that we have been able to, you know, get anywhere and open up any sort of negotiations with the Middle East and North Africa. I mean, we had a whole set of wars during Jefferson's administration called the Barbary Wars, where we sent in the Marines and attacked the Barbary Coast because they were kidnapping our people and selling them as slaves. That was happening by, you know, by Muslim, you know, military powers stretching from Morocco to Egypt at the time. The only reason we can have peaceful relations with the Middle East and trade with them and have any form of relationship is because we have a strong military force. And that's a harsh thing to say, but it's true. From the entirety of Islam's relationships with the West, the West has only been able to make any sort of headway with them through military force. And that's not to say all Muslims are bad, but there is a sort of inbuilt radicalism into their culture. Like Muslim Islam is not just a religion, it's a form of government. Correct. And even if we said the religion is peaceful, the government is radical. Correct. And that's what most people don't understand about the Muslim and Islamic faith. Because they're governed by the Quran, and they are they are they are taught at an early age through the Quran, and it is specifically outlined in the Quran that you are to create a mechanism of deception to be able to say, okay, yeah, we're okay. You know, you can we we can be friends, but at the end of the day, I'm going to end up killing you because that's what I that's what my beliefs are, core beliefs are, and so if you and. A few years ago, I did a study on what the Quran was really about, and I've talked with women that have actually escaped hardened Islamic nations, and they have and they were converted. They and these women converted to Christianity, but they would always express the one thing that they that they always were taught is that in the Quran it outlines that you must be deceptive in your communication when you're when you're talking with non-Islamic people. No, no, it is definitely a thing. 
You know, there's a famous story. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Battle of Acre. It was one of the last battles of the Third Crusade. And during the Battle of Acre, the Templars came out and negotiated terms with the Saracens, the Muslims that had come to conquer the city. And it basically said that they would surrender the city if they let all the women and children and the inhabitants of the city go free. And, and they went out and they kept their end of the bargain and they were going to surrender the city. They were about to take the women and children out. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. And then that's what people don't understand. Or they, I think that what they, let me rephrase that. I believe that they understand what's going on. They just fail to recognize that we're repeating history once again. Sorry about that. Um, no, I agree with you. Oh, you cut out for just a second. We'll, we'll just cut that part. Let's start that. Um, but what I was saying about the Battle Acres, when they went to free the women and children, the, the Muslims were already talking about how to divvy up the women. So when we're talking about radical Islam, when we're talking about terrorism and jihadists, deception is, uh, has always been a crucial strategy that they've used. That, that, that is so true. And, it, and I saw this firsthand in my time in Iraq. And you know that they, that they are masters of deception not only in physical, but also in, in communication. So, and that's what the reality is when we're dealing with that, with the Middle East region, is that people have to understand who they are and what they, what they stand for. Now, yes, there, are, there is that small population that is not radical like the majority is, who do not eat, you know, chant death to America on a daily basis. So just think back, back in the 70s when before when the Shah of Iran, when he had Iran almost like a westernized nation, but yet now, if you look at it now, it's completely different than what it was back in the 60s and 70s, early 50s, because they valued their people over what they should, over what they want their nation to be portrayed as. Now we know that they are, Iran is the largest state sponsor of terror. Yeah, they're the ones that sold all those rockets Hamas used to attack Israel. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it is a mess in the Middle East, and we can't show weakness. Can't show weakness on the border. We can't show weakness to our troops, and we can't show weakness, you know, in, when dealing with terrorists. You know, it, it's like uh, old Teddy Roosevelt said, speak quietly and carry a big stick correct absolutely correct and you know and that that the thing that that will concern me now is that with this ineffective and inefficient withdrawal in afghanistan i know we keep on going back to afghanistan and we've talked about the vaccine and the border but the one thing that is not being talked about anywhere in any type of form of media is that the effect of what's going to do to 
my fellow veterans and those that are on active duty that actually served in that region because I saw the after effects that happened and occurred when uh, the withdrawal in Iraq happened and it wasn't good. That's why you see that 22 veterans a day kill themselves through suicide. And you know that that's what the conversation needs to be really around in addition to what to having a better diplomacy and actually exiting the country, but the effects of what happens when you do that in not in, in disorganized fashion. But which you but I always tell people I, the, I tell them that the Vietnam veterans have been telling us this for a very long time, because even in v, the Vietnam War time frame, that was a disorganized withdrawal as well, and we saw what happened there. I mean, we still have POWs we lost because of that withdrawal that we have not got back yet. Correct. Well, no, Robert, we have actually, believe it or not, talked about everything in our little 30-minute period. Can you believe it? We covered our topics. Um, do you have any closing thoughts or maybe any other thoughts? My closing thought is this. It's not un-American to want your country to be strong. It's not un-American for you want to have secure borders. And it's not un-American to want your be able to choose whether or not you have the vaccine. And the people like your veteran friends and you who have served do not deserve to be forced to do this and have your freedoms taken away when so many you know, veterans have sacrificed their time, their lives, their limbs to secure our freedoms. And it is a shame that the Biden administration does not see that they are tearing down some of the very freedoms and strength that make the liberties in our great nation possible. You're absolutely correct, Robert. And with that, uh, we, we, I think we should close with that because I cannot beat that. <laughs> Good being back, Eric. All righty, Robert. It was nice talking with you and we'll uh, see you again next week. Yeah, I'm going to be back more. And as I said, I'm, I'll have our backlog cleared by the weekend. Sounds Again, good. I'm sorry I've been sick these